0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
1: This is the X-Man podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I apologize. I'm a couple days late on my most recent episode. My tour started with my band Bad Wolves and it's been a crazy, crazy week. I've barely had a moment to do anything. Right now it's past midnight in a quality Inn hotel and uh, yeah, just trying to get this thing out. I I, I hate not having the show out on, on time, but it's just been absolutely nuts. Uh, the shows have been going great. We've been doing shows with Hollywood and Dead. Those Guys are super cool. All the shows have been packed, and so no complaints. And it's you know, all the lead up, and it's actually happening. It's really great to see uh, people and the fans and people reacting on the ground. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So, having a lot of fun out here. We also just announced a tour, a headline tour for Bad Wolves. It will be actually a co headline with uh, From Ashes to New and Diamante, who we're label mates with. And we just dropped a single called uh hear me now with her as well so check that out uh yeah all kinds of stuff is is coming out but yeah if you guys want to get tickets to the headline show go over to badwolvesnation.com and we also have vip packages available over there so that'd be cool i didn't think we're going to be headlining this this soon but our team was like we're gonna go headline and i was like okay whatever you guys say let's hope it goes well we actually had a show sell out in one day over at um, the machine shop in Flint, Michigan, which is insane. Uh, <laughs> the other shows didn't sell out, but that one did. So it's, you know, going to take it for what it is. It's pretty, pretty amazing. I've definitely never had anything happen like happen like that with any of my previous bands. So there's definitely something in the air. I'm not gonna get too crazy with the uh, the intro here. I don't have a lot of time to get this done, so I'm just gonna real quick. I want to get into our sponsor. This show's sponsor is Rockabilia.com. You know them. You love them. They are the one-stop shop for all things band merchandise. Uh, their stuff is the real deal stuff. It is not bootleg. It is officially merchandise. And guess what? We actually have an exclusive Rockabilia designed for my band Bad Wolves. So if you go over to Rockabilia.com, put in Bad Wolves, you'll see it's an exclusive shirt. You can't get this one anywhere else. And uh, if you want 15% off, use my discount code Jabberjaw. And with that business out of the way, I'm going to get into the guest for this week's show, uh, a man named Justin Graves. He used to play drums in a band called A Life Once Lost. Uh, this is a band that came up with my old band, God forbid, in the New Jersey, PA, Philly scene. And they were doing some really, really cool things at a time when um, a lot of bands weren't doing the style they were doing. So it's always just great to have bands from that era, from that scene. And uh, he's also in, the, in a new band called Vexes. That's really cool, a little more on the, on the rock side of things. And me and him always kind of stayed in touch. So I'm sure you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with my main man, Justin Graves. No, man, it's uh, it's great to have old friends on on the show. People we ha- have a history with, especially from you know, not only from a time period perspective in terms of like you know, a life Once lost, and God forbid, came out around the same period of time, but also just like that proximity of new york uh new jersey pennsylvania uh bands you know because a lot of the stuff around that time was coming out of new england um stuff was coming out of like orange county you know in uh california stuff was coming out of florida but so the few bands in that 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 area like one of the reasons why i think you guys and us played so much back in the day was that there just weren't that many bands of our kind of ilk in you know locally
2: you know yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we were still, you got you guys had been around for a long time. You know, it seems like you had the you know, Dillinger Escape Plan and uh, um, who else, like Candiria. They were all a little bit a little bit before us and kind of already had made a, a name for themselves. And I feel like, you know, then you guys, were you guys on Ozfest the year before us? Yeah, we were in 2004. You guys were 05? or 06 uh you know what we were 06 were 06 okay so yeah i feel like our our time period you know we kind of followed those bands up you know as far as the the bands from new york and new jersey and pennsylvania right like around that same time it was us you guys um you know we were kind of on the upswing at the same time like
1: who else really was well, I mean, from the area, I mean, in, in a weird way, I feel like Lamb of God was almost like a quasi-Pennsylvania band because <laughs> uh, Philly was one of the first areas where they would play a lot. Uh, like, we played with Burn the Priest in, what the hell was that? Remember that dude, Alexander T? Do you, are, oh, yeah. you, are you old enough to remember that? Um, yeah, I do remember him. So, you know, so that was, you know, 98, you know, and they would play, you know, whatever kind of style 13 in, in Philly all the time. So to me, they're almost like, you know, part of the reason why they did their DVD in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, you know, is because they had a real connection to that. Um, but no. So, I mean, I, I think one of the really interesting, interesting things about that scene in particular was the di- diversity, you know, that we didn't really even though we were actually very much influenced by Dillinger in the early years, you um, we didn't sound like them we didn't sound like e-town uh or il nino or you know bands like dead guy and then there were even bands like symphony x and like overkill that came from new jersey right. um you know so you know it was it was it was a, i thought it was very eclectic and there was so many different kinds of um influences but you know funny going back and listening uh to some of your guys older stuff um so the the record it was the, the fourth plague is that the record
2: yeah yeah that was actually right before i joined um well there was the fourth play flies ep and then they had put out a uh um just uh open your mouth for the speechless which was like the first one even before that
1: so i went see that's so i went back and listened to it just today and i'm like I, it doesn't even sound like the same band and I'm, i'll be sure to be honest, it's it's not very good <laughs> 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 you know and that's what i remembered a life of. i remember. well i remember uh bob you know the, your your singer he used to book all the shows like he would book shows in delaware he would book shows um like outside of Phil- philadelphia like he he booked a really cool show with us and for the love of and then i remember there was one show with you guys us and arson Oh yeah, right. I remember um, that. It wasn't like a business. Maybe like I don't know, seventy-five people there or something. But that's remember one of the first times I remember seeing you guys. Like where I felt like, oh, and this wasn't just the guy who books the shows, band that's kind of okay that plays. Where it's like, oh, these guys are actually like starting to get starting to get good. You yeah, know? yeah. So when you joined, were you still playing the old stuff, or were you working on the stuff for what would be the uh, the great artist? Um, you know, when
2: I joined, they. Had, I don't I, I don't know how long it had been exactly since they put out that EP, but we were playing mostly those songs, and then I think we had written like another song or two off a great artist that we just started playing out live. Yeah, if well, I'm not mistaken. But well, yeah, so for a little while it was like that EP, but then it switched over to a great artist real quick.
1: I mean, but there's such it's like night and day. It's like kind of it's the the other stuff. It's very kind of noisy and techy and busy and just there was a lot going on you know there was a lot of that to me kind of almost dillingerie dillingerie i don't know if that's a word but (laughs) maybe (laughs) but but we know we know what one another mean yeah yeah yeah. so like it was a lot of that and then all of a sudden this very groove heavy very um mid-tempo um and you know I, i mean i think it's kind of clear you know from the outside looking in and understanding the influences is the uh the Meshuggah influence which at the time even though like a band like us would kind of steal a riffer here from Meshuggah like Blood Has Been Shed you guys seem to really you know I hear like a lot of the chaos fear kind of that era of of Meshuggah influence but you guys were maybe the first band in that scene to kind of fully take that that idea and run with it in terms of like a complete sound
2: right right yeah i mean i think one thing that had to do with it was me i I think i'm a very different drummer than the old drummer Mm. so you know i'm i'm more of like a groove guy i I love mid-tempo stuff uh i've always been a big china cymbal guy so (laughs) that kind of that kind of worked we, we,
1: we had a rule back in the day and i think this is only from playing in the hardcore scene and like playing, you know, those types of shows, like the idea that China equals heavy. <laughs> if you want any uh, breakdown to sound heavy, you just do it on the China. <laughs> yeah. There's just something
2: that has so much of more of a, like a, uh, a feeling like, you know,
1: something's going to happen. Like someone's going to get hurt. <laughs> Was it is if my memory is correct, didn't you take lessons with Scott Winchell from, for the love of. Yeah. Yeah. For, for a little while I did.
2: I, uh, um, um, i I forget how long maybe for like a year or something uh, i would go up there every once in a while because um chris penny was touring a lot and i had been talking to chris and i was like dude i would love to you know meet up and and take some lessons because i know that chris does some music education i think and some lessons or used to do lessons and i think he was touring a lot at the time and was in coheed Mm -hmm. or was about to join coheed and he recommended scott who I mean, I obviously knew who for for the love of was, but I don't think I knew Scott personally until I had started meeting up with them and taking lessons. Uh, yeah, I did. Probably did it for about a year. Scott's an incredible drummer, and you know, um, it was pretty awesome to be able to do that. It was also, I think, it was that was right before, um, or maybe after a great artist. I'm not sure. Somewhere around that time period.
1: Yeah. Well, I I can tell you for for me that that record, great artist, was. Just like, just came out of nowhere because, like I said, I had one kind of uh, vision of what the, I thought the band was, which was more kind of like, you know, just I didn't I didn't see the band as really an upcomer in that kind of way. And all of a sudden, I think the 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 first time I heard it was when, God forbid, it was at Tracks East or I was like visiting or or maybe I even maybe you guys were there. I can't, can't remember, but I remember hearing it and being like, "Holy shit, these, these guys!" They they done got real good real quick. And and, and 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 not only on 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 your end, but it seemed like every single person in the, in the band um really improved as as musicians. Like the like there there was a like a deft hand um of of kind of craftsmanship. To be honest, you know the
2: older life once lost stuff like the EP and the the stuff before that that you and I were just talking about, that was they were all literally in high school or barely out of high school then. You know, so a great artist was like early 20s and then so on from there. So it's just a little bit of, you know, getting into different music and just maturing as musicians. And that, you know, I think that has to do a lot with why the sound changed and such, you know?
1: Yeah. um, You probably don't know this or maybe I've, I've told you, but that was a great artist was a big reason why god forbid ended up going and doing um constitution of treason a big like we did about half that record with um with eric and then we did half of it with with jason sukoff but i'm talking about so eric rachel the producer because at at that time we you know eric wasn't really as known as much as a producer as as much as steve Evans was so right, I remember. So we heard, I think, your record, and then whatever like Nora record had he had done like maybe a year before that, and both those records, I was like, damn, you know, Eric is Eric is no joke as a producer, and, and so we, you know we ended up kind of getting back involved with them. So you know, kudos to you you guys just hearing, um, how much did Eric have have an effect on the way that that record turned out? You think? Um,
2: I mean, you know he's definitely a a well-seasoned you know an incredible engineer and you know he's such a cool guy and such a laid-back guy and he's really easy to work with um so you know i it's just really about being able to be there it's it's a comfortable environment you know it's it's not really a it's not stressful to to work with him you know he's he's just hanging chilling. Chewing on his uh, tea tree toothpick, (laughs) and just uh, you know, he'll be straight up with you when when something doesn't sound right. But um, yeah, I would give Eric tons of credit as far as that goes, you know, and not to not just a great artist, but he did uh, Iron Gag as well. Yeah, no, I know. You know that that again, that sounds incredible, and he just he just captures great sounds, you know. He's got such a great ear and. You know he knows what what gear to use and what's gonna sound the best for certain things, so he's he's the shit, man. I, I heard he's actually not there anymore. I think he might have finally retired or something.
1: Yeah, well, um, I had Steve Evans on the show, and then it wasn't on. On the show, but like while we were there, we actually called in uh, to Skype Skype him and just see what was up. Apparently, he like hurt his back, so I I gotta see what's up. If if he's not there, that's um that's definitely a bummer. But if anyone who deserves a rest, it's <laughs> it's Eric, man, because that dude worked worked his ass off. But um yeah, one of the things just going back and listening to the records, and I thought it back then, but even now is. Uh, just there was a more naturalistic approach, I think, to a lot of the the sounds. Like you can really hear the playing, you know, just the way, you know, the the technique, you know, of, of you know. Where I think now a lot of the the metal records are a lot more processed. You know, we hear a lot more fake drums. Every, things are a lot more quantized, a lot more cut and paste. Um, for a lot of reasons, obviously, people are trying to save money, or maybe just, you know, it is what it is. But I, there's something about that era of uh of production and and bands in that area i think is is pretty awesome
2: yeah i agree it's kind of uh it has a more natural feel you can feel the little inconsistencies that you know don't make it a, you know it doesn't make it a bad thing it just makes it sound natural and you hear the slight flaws as opposed to everything being so polished and so perfect you know um it's nice to to make things clean and to be able to clean it up but at the same time you know the more music progresses and and the more time goes on you're right uh, the more artificial it it really is you know it's it's nice to have some music come out from time to time that sounds like it's not programmed drums or like you said quantized like every single thing every single thing's auto-tuned so that's that's one thing that's cool about that record that a great artist records you you can hear how natural it is and even to this day people hear the sound of the drums that eric got on that and still just want to know who did that who who did that record what drum kit were you using what was that snare drum Uh, so that's pretty cool that something 15 plus years ago before what do you call it easy drummer and drum kit from hell and all that stuff came out that you could get sounds like that and have them kind of stand the test of time
1: yeah um one band actually that that i hear uh, currently was also a new jersey band so it's not that big of a surprise that actually seems to kind of borrow some influence from you guys in that era is tooth grinder have you listened to them at all yeah totally they're actually
2: from the town that i grew up in they're about uh, i'd say like eight years younger than me so I've I've seen them from the start until now. So it's good. To, it's cool to see them, you know, killing it out there. They're flying you know, the got... flag,
1: man, for Jersey, baby. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. No, that's awesome. Uh, another kind of thing, and this is, I think some of this is, is something we can understand in hindsight, you know, things once trends come in and come out and uh, the scene evolves is not too long after that record came out and then you guys had hunter come out you know we start to kind of see the the beginnings of the of what would be known as the gent scene right um and in a lot of ways uh you guys were kind of ahead of the curve with that style but you never really benefited from or got kind of pulled in to that wave of of bands who did really really well, um, what's your kind of memories of, of of that scene? Did you feel connected to it all? Did you feel kind of like gyps that you you know you guys <laughs> didn't really get to benefit maybe as much as some of the, those other bands?
2: It's funny when you were saying that I was thinking of a statement that we've used in the past. That's kind of funny, proto gent. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think the first band I'd say after us um one band that was was badass was remember tony danza and the tap dance extravaganza mm-hmm. they totally had you know they, they were like a little bit after us i would say but they kind of after us were one of those first bands and periphery I, I do one thing i remember it's funny you know those guys are, are awesome and, and misha's a rad dude i remember uh who is it Ash Abelson when he was, I guess Sumerian had already started, but they were still doing TKO or they, did they still have that agency, that booking agency?
1: Well, he, he had his own agency and then he eventually, I think, dissolved that so that he, and took his whole roster to TKO eventually. As a, uh, and at the time, I think he was still a booking agent, you know, and then was kind of doing both. Right, I remember,
2: I forget who we were working with. I think her name was Amanda. Mm-hmm. I think she was an, an agent for him. Fury, yeah. Yeah, and Periphery had just kind of put out, a, I guess maybe an EP or something, and they wanted us to take Periphery out. And I remember we had never heard anything like that because they had that that gent sound, those mushuga tones, and then it was like... I call it, you know, Anthony Green style singing, you know?
1: Anthony Green? Who's Anthony Green? Uh the Circus Survive guy. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I I I feel that. Uh <laughs> well, so Circus when Survive, first, they're 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 PA, right, Philly?
2: Yeah, they're like Bucks County, same area as like Bob Meadows, you know, from a life once lost and gotcha, Doug. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was so weird to hear that. You know, we were like, this band is heavy, but they have, you know, we were like, no way, like we're not taking a band like this on tour. <laughs> we're like, no, hell no. You guys were Basically, against it. Oh yeah, why? Yeah. It just was. It was just so weird. we were like, what is this?
1: You just, you, are, you, were you were you sipping on hate orade? I'm saying was no, it- no,
2: no, I well uh, maybe at, maybe at the time.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yo, I'll, listen. I'll, I'll this is X Men. You better keep it real on here. You know what I'm saying? If you was I'll, hating, I'll, I want to know about it. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it real. uh no I mean, think about it. You know, imagine hearing that for the first time in the early stages in like 2007.
1: You know, yeah. Like, I mean, that's yeah. That's when I heard heard them. You know, because you know, we kind of. You know, I would talk to Alex, uh, the old guitar player online, and my, my brother yeah. was in, in touch with, with Misha, so we would get, like, uh, so here are some of the early demos. You know, I remember when they did a show up at Dingbats, uh, in, when they didn't even have a singer, um, you know, they, they just did an instrumental show. So, you know, I, I remember, you know, and that's kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a sense, that whole nor- Northeast thing, you know, them being kind of in that Maryland, Baltimore area, you know, that's funny that you mentioned the singer thing. When
2: when we took them on that tour, they had the old singer or one of the old singers, the first one, Casey.
1: hmm And I
2: remember it was. An oh, so you so
1: you that. did take them on the tour, even though you were. Hesitant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I, we
2: eventually, we I think they were like, "No, yeah, you're you're gonna do the tour. <laughs> you're gonna take them on tour." And uh, you know, after that, we realized like. You know, they had that guy uh what's his name the other uh, orbin travis
1: orbin yeah Who, who's uh from darkest tower
2: yeah he was the he was the first drummer i think and uh casey was the singer so there was like the, the, all the old lineup and uh you know even then we realized how how killer they were but the the um Casey was, was having a, a little bit of a trouble adjusting. I remember most of that tour was no
1: singer, um, even though he was there. What do you and mean? I could, what do you mean there was no uh, singer? He would, he, the certain shows he just wouldn't do because he was like sick or something.
2: I think it was, uh, um, it was their, I guess it was their first, first tour. I'm not sure if they had played before that, but I know that it was tough having him having him sing. I think it was an adjustment, you know, uh, I never heard a band like that style with a singer before so can you imagine doing that for the first time being you know because if you think about it they're kind of a they kind of paved the way for that their own type of genre like the gent with the singing you
1: know um what I mean? no because no. I, I I think um uh what are they called? the uh, sixth was around before then. uh yeah yeah
2: you're right
1: you know I, a little,
2: it's yeah. a little different though I guess well, those right? are the, those
1: no, nah, but what but, but I'm saying is, I, I think bands were already doing stuff similar. I think there, there was a, a band called Textures, uh, who, oh, I, yeah. who I believe is from Holland. Um, and they're incredible that, you know, uh, they put out a record in 2007. That's, I'm forgetting the name, Silhouettes. I think his name is a record that is fucking one of my favorite metal records of that, that era. So I don't think it was that, um, you know, alien at the time. I think the issue was just as a band i don't think i think they were more of a studio band that was trying to figure out how to take something that they had done in their bedrooms and turn it into a live band when god god forbid went out with periphery and it was god forbid and kitty 2010 and that was you know one of their early tours and even then they were putting it together and, and i think they're one of those bands where they have all this skill um as you know, from on the on the production element and on the playing element, but a lot of that stuff is is not necessarily the most easy thing to translate in a live setting. It just takes time, it takes years, yeah. and it takes reps. You just got to go out there, and every time I've seen Periphery live, every time they sounded better. You know, over yeah, the years,
2: like, it was crazy to see. You know, like my point was is that they they started as that, like what you said, they had a, a project, a bedroom project that, you know, they were repping out and working out the kinks live and um you know even as an instrumental band then like with the singer having trouble adjusting it was it was crazy to see how freaking sick they were between misha the you know um, the old guitarist alex um jake bowen all those guys it it was mind-blowing to see you know that come out of those young guys at the time it was crazy to see. And like you said, every time you see him, it just gets better and better and better.
1: So was that kind of, cause listen, God had that moment too, where, where we heard another band kind of on our corner and not only on our corner, but we are like, we're not, they kicked us off the corner. we, we, we down the street fucking <laughs> begging yeah. for change. Um, did it feel like that? Like, uh Oh, something's about to change. And maybe we're going to be left out in the cold. Um,
2: I don't know if we, if we felt that right away, but you know, I know personally, I, I ate my words in, in my opinion. You now, once, once I saw how good all those dudes were, I'm like, wow. Well, first of all, you know, we were probably dumb for, for putting up the resistance in the first place, you know, cause once we saw how good they were, it, it was cool to, to just watch that every night. And then from there, um, you know, you got to see them progress, but I think, you know, you know what I think the first tour was at least that I remember that made me feel like, like you were talking about was we toured with suicide silence when they first kind of started getting big. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we were supporting them. You know, I think that might, it might've been also one of the first tours where it was like, you know, if we were supporting a band. It was, I don't know, uh dillinger escape plan or unearth or you know someone that was bigger than us and had been around a lot longer mm-hmm. and then you got suicide silence who were a very young band yeah. had a very young audience and we were going to be supporting them but we had been around a lot longer than them and we would see the response and how many kids would come out and
1: when like when, that was, when was that I'm going to say maybe somewhere around 2008, 2009. Okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, that that, that was a seat change, and we felt that as well um, when we did Mayhem Festival, and it was Job for a Cowboy and Black Dahlia Murder and Whitechapel, and you just saw that that whole new scene was coming. But um, even before that, I I actually want to kind of talk about um, the the Hunter record, which seemed... uh, you know, it, like I said, it seemed like great artists came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, you guys were, you know, just had had a nice buzz. But then, I feel like it. I don't know if it happened before Hunter or or when it came out, but um, I know you guys were managed. Were you you were managed by Paul Conroy?
2: No, no. Um, or was he at the label? He was at Ferret, I think. And you guys were working.
1: And you guys were with Ferret, right?
2: And we were with Ferret, we had a, uh, our manager was named John Daly. He was working with, um, Larry Mazer. Remember okay. Larry, Lamb of God's manager. Yes, yes. Okay. So and, you, were, uh, you
1: were under that kind of umbrella.
2: Yeah. And that guy, Tim Smith, he was like, uh, from first to last and a you and stuff like that.
1: Hey guys, just going to cut in here on my interview with Justin Graves to present the sponsor for this week's episode, and it's a band from South Wales in the UK, and they are called Slam, and they are an instrumental band, emphasis on the mental, and I'm going to play a song for you uh, called The Devil's Den, and it's from their album What Now, or an EP for that matter called What Now, check this out
0: the year of our lord 1863 it was july 2nd to be precise and it's day two of the battle of gettysburg the area around the devil's den saw intense fighting with general robert e lee committing his troops to flanking attacks while lieutenant general james longstreet's corps attacked the divisions of major general daniel sickles head on
1: So you just heard the song The Devil's Den from the band Slam, and that's from their EP entitled What Now. You can check them out um, on SoundCloud, Reverb Nation, Twitter at all Slam underscore metal, and facebook.com backslash slam dot metal, and also check out their label, underverse records. Thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show. If you are interested in sponsoring the show, just hit me up on social media or drop me an email at the X man podcast at gmail.com. That's ex. Now back to our conversation with Mr. Justin Graves. I I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that you guys seem to kind of get wrapped up in from an industry standpoint, from a very, uh, within a very influential group of people. Right. And I guess maybe I, I, I pinpoint Paul Conroy because he the way he was just talking about Hunter, you know, and I think I can't remember if he had played me some songs, but he was like like he really believed you guys were gonna be like the next lamb of God. Um and I heard the, the uh the, the music video you had done for that was like really expensive. Um and you can kinda you can correct me if I'm I'm talking out of my ass, but Uh, And that was right around the time I think you guys did Sounds of the Underground. It just seemed like there was a lot of momentum, and all of a sudden, the expectations kind of went really high for that record. Is that true or false? Well, as far as the price of that video,
2: I never saw the bill, so (laughs) thankfully, so I couldn't tell you. But um, the the momentum was good. It's hard to say, I think, partially what you and I were talking about, the the music just took a weird swing when certain types of band, like, I don't know, you know, I don't want to discredit any, any of these bands that came out. Like I was talking about Suicide Silence and how, you know, when they kind of came out, it felt like things changed and it felt like there was a different audience and kids didn't care about you know, bands like yours and ours, you know, (laughs) even though we had our fan bases, you know, we were ending up on certain tours that I I think the kids just didn't care about what we were doing. It didn't matter. um, You know, if you, let's be honest here, you put a a band like A Life Once Lost or God Forbid and then a band like Suicide Silence, especially that older stuff. I mean, there's a, a quite a difference in, I don't know if I would say technicality or whatever, you know, it's a little it's a little more different the the deathcore stuff is just a little more basic and sometimes that's what the kids like or at least then you know it was like just the slow deathcore kind of like the influence stuff like that um but as far as the momentum goes I, I feel like when certain bands like that came out things changed i don't know if it was
1: well i feel like you're talking about kind of the downturn but what i want to talk about is the upswing all right you guys were basically a local band and then all of a sudden you know you got this record coming out on ferret um and this record that was the one you did with uh rob rob you know you got you know so kind of like a Bigger name producer, like I said, your your video costs like a hundred thirty seven thousand dollars. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, no, um, no, but I, you know, and I just remember, like I said, talking to to Conroy and him having very very high expectations, and all of a sudden, like I said, so for example, doing a tour like Sounds of the Underground, um, you know what, you know how did that feel to kind of feel like you guys were graduating to that next level and you're getting bigger support slots and playing in front of bigger crowds?
2: I mean, it was awesome. We, we worked hard. We were, we were on the road 200 days a year, you know, working up to a lot of that stuff. And um, I think finally, I think our first big break or, uh, you know, as I would consider it was, Getting stuff put out on Deathwish, a great artist actually came out on Deathwish. Yeah, so, so getting that support from Jake Bannon at the time, I think was the first big step for us. And from there, you know, I, even though we had already toured all over the freaking place by then, and, and we had a fan base, I think it it just opened us up to a bunch of new audiences, and you know, just got our foot in the door with a couple of different. Different people, like a you know, like a more booking agents and and stuff like that. So from there, getting onto ferret, you know, that's when we did Hunter. And I, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think that really they just wanted us to work with a producer on that record. So so working with Rob Casciano uh, and Eddie wool I hate leaving out Eddie. Yeah, because Scrap but... <laughs>
1: Scrap sixty, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if it was the team or if it was just Rob.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was both. And
1: uh... well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupatton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host
0: a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolf Peck. every Monday.
2: You know, so that was, that was, I think that was more, you know, like you said, the expectation was high. So I think they wanted us to, to work with someone to just, just get the, the most out of the record. Um, and I was trying to think what else after that, I know I'm trying to remember who was booking us then. Cause we had a couple different bookies. It was, was Tim Bohr ever booking you guys? I'm not never, I don't think ever Tim. I think, um, was it Justin Bridgewater? Do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah. I think i think we had justin for a little while and i know towards the end we had amanda uh, from from tko and yeah so paul conroy was with ferret and yeah um i mean it felt awesome you know from there we we got sounds of the underground um jaeger music with the music tour we did about a week's worth of dates with disturbed mm-hmm. and that, uh, that that must have been different yeah, that was I mean that was that was actually awesome. They were they were really cool and real supportive of us and you know we got to play like arenas and stuff like that. So, you know, as a band that was still kind of on the upswing, that was pretty awesome at 20 something years old.
1: Yeah, I think I I saw you guys maybe at the end of that cycle. Um I think it was with Himza and you guys played the Knitting Factory in New York. Was that a headline show or is that who like who, who was on that show? I'm trying to think. I was think it... I think Himza was the headliner, and they had they were putting out a
2: record. Maybe it was their first one in a little while or something. Yeah, well, and, I just,
1: uh, I just remember seeing you guys, and and I remember being like, okay, you know, like yeah, man, people are pumped. You guys had a great show. You sounded great. Um, you know, and I it it seemed like all that touring and doing some of the bigger shows. Um, you know, I, I started to see you guys have a lot of confidence, you know. Um, and and you and you see that. Just see you get out there, you do bigger shows, you start believing in your in yourself that, hey man, maybe, maybe we can, you know, we can actually be that that next band. Um, or actually really have some success. And then Iron Gag came out, which I loved. You know, I I think that record is is awesome. It's probably, you know, uh, maybe my favorite i'm not sure maybe between that and hunter i'm not totally sure um but yeah i thought it was fantastic and it seemed like it kind of fell on deaf ears a little bit within my circle like people weren't really gravitating it whereas hunter it just seemed like there was hype 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 and ever in this tour um what what was going on around around that time i mean i mean maybe you already mentioned it with the suicide silence and the death core and that it was because I think that's when that came out right around that time. Right.
2: Yeah. That, you know, that suicide silence tour, that might've even been iron gag era, but regardless, um, if, if we're keeping it real, cause this is the X-Man podcast. <laughs> I think, you know, at the time when, you know, we were writing iron gag, we had a lot of ideas, but there was just some, um, some head-butting, in my opinion, as far as, a dire- you know, direction and, and who's going to be writing more. And, you know, um, it went in a lot of different directions, I think, to try to keep everybody in the band happy. Um, and in my opinion, you know, like you said, it's a great record, but I think maybe people were expecting, you know, Hunter part two or a mm-hmm. great artist part two. And it's not exactly what it is. It's a little more, or I would say, if anything, a little less of, you know, the gente stuff. And well, it's
1: a little, there's a little more rock and roll. It's a little yeah. bluesier. Um, You know, I, I mean, this is something I kind of want to ask, ask you about, you know, with all that expectation and you're, you're opening for disturbed. You guys do Ozfest, which must've been, uh kind, awesome. kind of a, a, a complete you know um mind fuck in terms of the industry and being able to do new things um you know vocally what you guys doing wasn't commercial you know even even from a screaming standpoint it wasn't like all right here's the big um anthemic you know now you've got something to die for a moment or the you know you know, Hey, lived for this. Like it was, you know, you know, as, as, as good as I think Bob was, it was still, there was still kind of a monotony to it. And, um, and, the, you know, I felt like that was always going to be like a barricade to kind of getting to X level, you know, and understanding how you guys are pretty diverse musicians. It did uh, the vocal style like did you guys feel limited as a band as far as what you could do, or did you want more? or were you completely happy with that? Um,
2: I think at the time we were trying to be against the grain with all the the singing stuff, you know uh, another band that had kind of come out around the same time as our bands, or maybe a little bit after like Trivium, yeah, you know that was, and uh'm trying to think of some other stuff like. All that remains. Yeah, both of the bands
1: around that 2006, 2007 were really taking you off. Yeah, and they were, you know,
2: they were doing the whole sing, scream thing. And I think it just wasn't what we wanted to do at the time. Yeah. Whether, you know, I'm sure that if we decided to just throw in a, a couple singing choruses here and there, then we would have been able to get a little bit more popular. In, in certain ways, but I don't think we were that concerned about that. It, you know, it, I don't think that would have felt very natural, um, for the band. And Bob was more of a, more of a, a screamer, you know, um, he wasn't really into the idea of singing and I can't blame him. You know, if it's, if it's not something that he wants to do, then, you know, we weren't going to force him do that to do that. Um,
1: well, I wouldn't, I I w- I wouldn't even say that it, um, I don't think it, it would necessarily have meant the band would have been bigger, um, because I think oftentimes, especially when you have a band that's established as doing one thing, if they change it up, it, you know, it could actually divide everyone, and and then they get none of the fans because it it's not it feels forced or or it's not uh, really what the people that like the band want want to hear. I'm not even saying that like as a suggestion for me, like, oh man, you guys really should have threw a couple singing choruses. Um, I just, I just think there are certain, like, for example, right, Sepultura, you know, Soulfly. You know, Max Cavalera screams, right? But his scream is, for some reason, it has a tonality to it that's very easy to listen to. And he writes in a way that is very anthemic. So even though they're screaming, the songs have a universe, universality to it. That connects so they can have, you know, he has a couple gold records on his wall and they go around, you know, and they draw thousands of people, even though they're screaming. You know, you could throw a lamb of God in there where he's screaming, but, you know, there's certain tones of scream that are more and um, accessible and, and also the cadences and the writing. And why, you know, why is hate breaking? They can go around the, the, the world and play in front of 2,000 people, even though he's doing an extreme vocal. So to me, it's not necessarily just about it singing or not singing, it's about, there's a, a type of writing and certain vocal tonalities that lead to, uh, a band being more accessible.
2: You know, I think, yeah, I I, to- I totally agree. And you're right. Just the being able to kind of, whether it be come up with a, uh, you know, a catchphrase or a chant or, a, like you said, uh, like a roots, bloody roots, you know, Max Cavalier, it's got a, it's got some melody to the singing. Um, i couldn't tell you why you know why we didn't do that more um you know i'm not against that kind of thing but iron gag you know that wasn't uh, we we worked we went with eric rachel again and that's why it sounds amazing um but at the same time you know that we didn't have a a producer there as far as like you know eric eric is involved in all the recordings but not at the level that guys like rob and eddie mm-hmm. from scrap 60 are you know they're they're tearing apart your songs they're changing things around and they're you know they're every step of the way as far as the way that the songs arranged and everything um working with eric rachel you know we produced you know everything was pretty much done when we got in there as far as the way the songs were written the structures and all that kind of thing so I think if Iron Gag had, if we had worked with a producer, you know, I think maybe you would have heard some more stuff like that. Um, but I think on, you know, writing all everything ourselves, um, it's hard to say, you know, that was such a long time ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I, I remember we, we did a show with you guys, a God forbid headline show in, uh, I believe New Hampshire, uh, not too long after that record was released. And, you guys were were really seasoned, you know. I you know I think all the years on the on the road had really paid off. You know, you guys had a little swagger to you, but it also <laughs> felt like this this kind of you know just a general vibe, like you know, like you guys felt like you didn't get your due. You know, like well, we're here and it, we're really good, and we like we know we're good, but how come the masses don't know or or aren't? How come it's not you know? one plus one is not equaling two in this equation, you know, there was there some bitterness starting to set in around that time? Um, I think a little bit um, more
2: from certain people. I'm not going to, not going to name any names, um, but you know, not to say that it's not disheartening when you're busting your ass that much and, you know, you're a well-oiled machine and you've been doing all that stuff for so long and you got records out and then, you know you hear stuff that you don't think deserves to be as big as it is or you know it's not to not, i wouldn't necessarily call it bitterness but i would just call it you know you get burnt out you know you bust your ass and and you hope that your next record is going to be the one that takes you to the next step and sometimes you just stay where you are or you're or you fall back a little bit and <laughs> excuse me a new stuff comes around um you know it, it just was i think by the time iron gag was out we were pretty i wouldn't say, like
1: maybe a little bit burnt out maybe a little bit yeah the the industry had, had uh taken you in and spit you out <laughs> you went, you went, you went through, the, through the whirlwind um so did you guys like so uh, there was a big gap between uh, that record and the last record uh ecstatic trance Did the band break up in between that time, or were you guys just kind of on, you know, just not? You you went from being kind of a full time band to not really a full time band.
2: So, we you know we were we toured so much. That's the thing. We I think looking back on it, and I mean I think you guys toured a lot too. But I think if if we could have done things different, we would have been a little bit more selective about certain tours, you know. Back then we didn't have the internet really. It wasn't as prevalent to promote bands and such. So we were just, you know, we were playing shows to twenty people. We were playing shows to two hundred or two thousand people. So um I think by that time it just had, had taken a toll on us. So I had left the band, I wanna say two thousand eleven. Yeah we always, we always had a couple different bass players. Uh, We had one that came back twice. We had, uh, we also had Evan Brewer. A lot of people don't know that Evan played for us for about a year Um, from Entheos animosity. I don't know if you know, Nick Hale Nick was in premonitions of war Mm -hmm. and burnt by the sun. And then, um, you know, our long-term bass player who was on i guess nick was on a great artist nick frasca he was on a great artist i think around maybe the time of hunter he may now he was in the he was in the band for hunter i think after hunter he left and then he had come back i think at one point during the iron gag era and then left again but yeah 2011 i left the band 2012 bob carpenter left the
1: band well that's and... that's pretty you know for me that's you know understanding what i know about the band and how much he writes and and how much he played on the records that's more or less the end of the band right if carpenter leaves right
2: yeah i mean you know bob and i
1: i you know
2: a great artist hunter I, bob wrote a lot of those riffs and you know iron gag was a little bit of more of a um everyone gets, you know, to put their ideas in. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of different stuff going on on that record. Like you said, it kind of changed sound a little bit. And then we when we were writing the next record, you know, the follow-up to Iron Gag, that was when I left, that's when Bob left, so most of the material for that got scrapped. So when you hear Iron Gag, that's pretty much a diff, You know, it's a quarter of the band or a third of the band, you know? Really? Yeah, I mean, Bob, anything Bob wrote for that, I'm pretty sure didn't make it onto the record. You know, all the stuff that I remember that we wrote, that we had demoed, everything, um, I don't hear any of that on that Ecstatic Trance record. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's mostly Doug's riffs. I, I don't know if any of the other musicians were involved or not. And that's uh, in that songwriting process, but I could tell you the reason it took so long is probably because half the band left, and you know they had to kind of rewrite. I think a lot of material, and then re- you know re-record it. I don't. I think they were in the we were in the midst of like talking to some new labels at the time too. Because mm-hmm. I guess we split with Ferret, or I think our contract was up at the time. So there was just a lot of variables that created that long period of time we toured a lot too on iron gag i think we toured for like two years on that record so then you put another year or two into writing and then like you said the band band kind of almost broke up didn't really break up but there's a lot of lineup change before that album came out and then they broke
1: up yeah but you were already out of the band
2: yeah i was out by 2011 and i think bob carpenter left in 2012 and then i think they had to start writing a new record again because all the all the previous material got scrapped so
1: so so during this time you're you leave the band you're (laughs) you just saying hey uh, i guess uh music was cool (laughs) and then you know what 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 was your plan at that point you know just kind of were you looking to join other bands or you just hey man i'm just gonna be a regular mo pay my bills you know at the time
2: i was just so burnt out on doing a lot of mediocre tours uh, touching a couple of topics that we hit in the past you know music had changed or you know the, the bands that were coming out had changed a lot we were taking on so many tours and some that i in my opinion i was just not excited about mm-hmm and that some of them just weren't you know we were supporting bands and even some of those those bands and those shows they just weren't incredible draws and after you've been doing it over and over it's like you you don't want to be there anymore to be honest with you you know you're that far in you're you're 10 years or something you know eight years into being in that band you've you've done a such good stuff like you said we hit the i guess our pinnacle or our peak was like Ozfest and and those those things that we talked about mm-hmm. you know and then 5 years later you're you know i'm not going to name any names like i said but you're playing for 40 people or you're doing a headlining tour and you're you're playing for 50 people um and not that that's a, necessarily a bad thing but You got to live you got to eat you got to survive you know you're you're a thousand miles from home and you're i don't know playing a basement show or something for 50 people and it's it's you hit a wall eventually in in my opinion that's how it was for me so i just needed i needed a little time i I was you know i was in a in a band before a life once lost for a couple years in like my teen years so you know did some touring then and then all that touring with a life once lost so from about 16 to 30 uh, eventually i just needed a break
1: <laughs> yeah no 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 doubt with that um yeah i think that's that's very common and i think in a lot of ways the whole touring thing a lot of it is almost like a drug right so when you first <laughs> you've never been on tour you can do it you can do that tour in front of 50 people and it's like getting heroin straight to your you know to your system have you ever done like oh my god i'm on tour oh my god there's i'm in florida and there's 50 people coming to the show and you're just so excited to do it and you're so excited to play every day when before that you've only done shows on the weekends or a show here or there and obviously that builds and builds and builds and the same uh type of thing just doesn't have the same effect after a while you don't want a tour just a to tour there has to be a reason to tour, right? There has to be, hey, we're exposing ourselves to these fans, or we're hitting a new market, or um, it. After a while, it does become a a job like anything else, and it's, hey, we have to tour because this is our job. This is what we do. This is how we pay our bills. And if it's not paying the bills, then you you definitely run out of reasons. And that's you know, it's this is a very common story that happens on this show with people that do do what we do, and then eventually it 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 winds down. So. You know, not to be repetitious, but or repetitious, repetitive. <laughs> uh it it is it is very common. Um, so you have a new band now called Vexes. Um how did Congrats. this how did and this is, you know, stylistically it's uh you know it's funny, me and you were talking because you almost filled that um uh, tried out for Vegas Nerve, my other band, which that that ended up not happening, but you know, your new band is, is not too dissimilar from that style, you know, a little kind of post post hardcore, I, I would say post hardcore, I would say more like Prague uh, prog rocker. I don't know. How would, how, how would you say it? Yeah, it's, it's, you're right.
2: It's hard to really put a title on a band like mine or like Vegas nerve um, because we come from a metal background but we like all different types of music. It's not like, you know, I don't know about you, but people that know me, maybe that don't know me that well, they just, they think of me. I'm like, I'm, you're the metal drummer. You're the, you know, I'm just like, nah, like, that's not really me. Like I'm I'm a, I love metal. I grew up on metal, but I don't like being put into like a, you know, like one boxed into one genre like that. You know, I, I grew up listening to so much different music and that plays a part in my style of drumming. So to be in a band like yours and like, like Vegas Nerve and, and like Vexes, it's, it's tough because we're pulling influences from different types of music, but putting into what, what you and I probably think of as like, all right, this is what we would do as a rock band, you know? But people think it's metal or post hardcore or um, you know you could call it whatever you want alt metal <laughs> yeah uh, post metal you
1: know um, well or- you have to you have to in unfortunately, when you've been around for a while and you you have credits and you've done things, people can never really see what you're doing through uh any other prism you know so it's a it's a gift and a curse, it's like a. Something no someone knows you for something, so that's kind of good. It's like better I me mean, known for nothing, right? <laughs> uh, but there's also this this idea of well, you do this one thing. Listen, I, I spent years uh, learning how to play guitar like a rock player. You know, it wasn't I could not do it on day one. I was you know there's something about that thrashy heavy metal aggressive tight way of playing that is very different. Than playing rock music or playing, you know, even other styles, which I still need a lot, of, a lot of work on. But yeah, you got to go and you got to prove that you can actually do it, and you know, it has its own challenges. But it, it's great, you know, the, the stuff you you because you were sending me mixes, you know, well over a year ago um, of it. But it's right. finally so it's it's coming out now. Like, is it on the label or what's what's the deal with it? We're actually putting it out ourselves. Um,
2: we. It, it's tough. It's, it's a different adventure. I think uh, doing it this way we put it, we have the, you know, the record's done and we got a, uh, actually Bob Carpenter that was in a life once lost. He's playing with us now. We had a different bass player. We played a couple shows with him. Um, basically what I'm saying is we never really had a chance to showcase any of it. You know, we, we didn't go out on tour as an unsigned band and, and grind it out like that. It was kind of, we have a record. It's done. Let's see what we can accomplish from here. And you know, like we've said earlier in the interview, the music industry, everything has changed a lot. So it seems like more of a risk for labels to just pick us up. Uh, yeah, sure, maybe I've been in, I was in a Life Once Laws. If Bob was in a Life Once Laws, um, but it's not enough to shell out a ton of money to sign a band to you know pay for them to record uh, i can't blame labels for not you know jumping on us right away or anything like that because they haven't even heard of us we didn't you know we didn't tour we kind of just came out of nowhere so it's, you know we're, we're going to put it out ourselves and see what we could do we've um it's coming out the 23rd it's called the ancient geometry
1: the 23rd of february
2: yeah february 23rd we're actually putting out a video this friday the week beforehand yeah it's gonna be self-released and it's been, it's been cool to to do it this way it's a challenge because think about god forbid in a life once lost we never really had facebook to use to promote the bands and now it's a you know you can sponsor ads Um, we got adrenaline pr working the record as well Um, so it's cool to, to see what we can do almost like acting as the as the label ourselves and hopefully you know we'll we'll turn some heads and get some attention because you know we'd love to to have the next record come out on on a label and spark some interest and you know get on some good tours and all that good stuff
1: did um do you guys have any shows lined up or tours or anything nothing going on yet
2: um kind of just focusing on getting this video out getting the album out because we're doing everything in-house so it's it's very it's very time consuming. And at the same time, it's a little bit of a learning curve doing everything via social media now. Uh, so we're trying to just build a solid foundation, put out this record and kind of see what, what, what happens from there. You know, we, we want to get out and, and play, but at the same time, you know, we hope to, you know, get enough of a positive feedback from this record that we can, you know, play some cool shows and, and really
1: get the ball rolling. Right on, man. Well, I like the music. I'm going to play a song right after we get done talking. Um, And I think people are going to like it as well. So definitely, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great getting to, getting to yeah. talk about the old days, man. Yeah man, we're gonna
2: we're gonna have to do this again like you know, every once in a while.
1: <laughs> no, uh, no, that's it. That's... Man. You go, there's only one time. It's not It's not like the the Josta show where you have the same motherfucker on thirteen times. No Doc you on once and that's it. It's over.
2: I, I feel like there's so
1: many no, I'm just kidding. old memories we could dig up. <laughs> there's, there's 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 a lot. Well it's it's you know the theme of this is to be able to look at the past in a, in a healthy way, um, you know, get rid of the pining and kind of just put it in perspective and and see what you kind of learned from it. Um, you know, it's, uh, the, 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 healthiest way to kind of deal with nostalgia. I think that's the way to look at it. Cause I don't, I definitely don't want this to be a, um, a format to just live in the past, but as a way to kind of examine the past in a, in a, you know, a really sober and, but also affectionate way.
2: I think I think we're going to have a lot
1: of a lot of cool stories to
2: tell people when we're super old. You know, uh, I know we're older than we were when we were in our in our prime as far as like the OzFest days. But, you know, being like 50, 60 years old and be able to talk about this stuff that we did at that age would be pretty cool. And as far as being healthy goes, I bet we're a lot healthier now. Not drinking the Jaeger.
1: <laughs> well speak for yourself no i'm just kidding <laughs> no definitely, i definitely i do not remember the last time i had jaeger but uh anyway I can't man even smell that stuff anymore <laughs> Ozfest will do that to you ruined it
2: all right <laughs> thanks man. for having me on the show man i really appreciate it of course brother you be good all right all right you as well
1: So that was the track Hellion from Justin's band Vexes. That's from their debut album entitled Ancient Geometry, which is out now. hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed that song. I really dig his new band Vexes. That shit is good. And Hopefully I can see him live sometimes. And I just want to give him all the thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I want to give my apologies to you guys again for having my show be late. I'm going to uh, see if I can kind of make that up, get another show out early next week and um one of the great things about being on the road is i can do a lot more in-person interviews once things kind of settle down and right now we're touring in a van and we're gonna get the bus pretty soon so i have a little more time to kind of plan things out and you know just get you guys more great content so it's a lot of work the band is busy but i really care about the show and I'll make sure you guys get what you want so thank you so much keep rocking mama motherfucking out